And welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, uh, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Hear your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I'm your host, Fred. Well, the featured artist this week will be no stranger to any of you avid podcast listeners out there. Uh, today we have a much belated but wide, wide welcome to Greg Taylor and the Dakota Ring Theater, the foremost source of awesome contemporary-made audio drama with a real flair for the hard-boiled classic detective days without being hackneyed at all his uh two series blackjack justice and the red panda are fresh fun witty and just conscious enough about their genre conventions to be effective and attract a huge contemporary audience uh, today we have a piece of theirs which can be sufficiently labeled something completely different it's called tis the season and in the spirit of will eisner's uh the spirit <laughs> it bends the red panda's universe just a little bit for a curious twist on the old classic christmas story hope you enjoy Test the season. The Dakota Ring Theater podcast is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Visit dakotaringtheater.com today. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Greg Taylor of Dakota Ring Theater. This week's Red Panda Adventure is our holiday card to all of you, inspired by the great Christmas stories of that classic mystery man, the Spirit, in which the great Will Eisner would stand his universe on its head, just a little, for the holidays. Merry Christmas, Mr. Eisner wherever you are. Uh, Greg, wasn't Will Eisner Jewish? Uh, I knew that. And now, Dakota Ring Theater presents the continuing adventures of Canada's greatest superhero, that scourge of the underworld, hunter of those who prey upon the innocent, that marvelous masked mystery man known only as the Red Panda! The Red Panda, mysterious crusader for justice, hides his true identity as one of the city's wealthiest men in his never-ending battle against crime and corruption. Only his trusty driver, Kit Baxter, who joins him in his quest in the guise of the Flying Squirrel, knows who wears the mask of the Red Panda. This episode, Tis the Season! The day before Christmas arrived in Toronto, and all the good folks to and froed extra pronto. The lampposts were frosted a delicate white with the sweet Christmas flurries that fell overnight. And all of the people, rich and poor, short and tall, smiled jolly good wishes they wished them to all. Yes, the city was happy and jolly and gay, and each one you asked why they'd cheerfully say that a joyous occasion was soon on its way. It would break the next dawn on a fine Christmas day. But the spirit and joy didn't fill every nook. There were a few places you just didn't look, places where darkness retreated to hide till the season of joy flowed away like the tide and lurked in the shadows. They'd give you a fright, all manner of things that go bump in the night. Men whose bark might be bad, but then so was their bite. Men of evil against whom the goodness must fight. So it was, in an alley, filled with garbage so smelly, was a small little boy, who was named Harry Kelly. Harry clung to the shadows behind a trash can, where he hid, having followed a foul-looking man, and was there that he learned of the bad man's worst plan. Boys, it's Christmas tomorrow, said the gangster named Jake. Time for us all to grab all we can take. No one will expect it, this day above all. They'll all be at home, just a deck in the hall. And that's when we'll strike, said Jake to his gang. We'll haul off the loot, and no one will hang. There's a big shipment on, and it's really hush-hush. Some bright Christmas cheer for delivery rushed. Them orphans who live over on College Street is supposed to be getting a holiday treat. The whole thing's arranged by some wealthy young man, but giving us presents ain't part of his plan. Food... Clothes and toys, gonna be sweet as honey. We'll steal all that swag and we'll sell it for money. A big panel truck will be rolling tonight, and that driver is in for a heck of a fight. So chortled the villainous rat face named Jake, while young Harry Kelly looked on and quaked. Not in fear, understand. Harry Kelly was brave, but in anger and rage at yon evil knave. Most boys Harry's age wouldn't know how to help, They'd be frightened and could only look on and yelp. 
But this boy was different. On this you can trust us. He worked on the side as an agent of justice. Stealing from orphans, the young Harry thought. And on Christmas, too. Well, it's trouble they've bought. When the chief hears of this, why, these gangsters will pay. He'll bust up this racket and do it today. He'll learn them some games and they won't want to play. And with that, Harry Kelly was fast on his way. For you see, this wasn't a usual boy who spent all his time with a game or a toy. I tell you the truth, this is not propaganda. He served the masked man known as the Red Panda. So young Harry Kelly ran off like a shot. Red Panda must know of this terrible plot. I'll find him. I must, and for just this one reason. Only he can stop Jake's gang from stealing the season. Down the alley he sprinted with nary a pause, with determined speed that would sure draw applause. To the sidewalk he ran, the snow flew in his wake, for the odds would get worse with the longer he'd take. The shoppers, last minute, they hurried and rushed, yet through, like a salmon, the young agent pushed, till he heard afar off a ring-a-ling sound, that froze Harry Kay where he stood on the ground. Church bells, thought the boy with an uncommon fright. I'm to sing with the choir just this very night. I'd rather the singing had never did start, but that would just break up my poor mother's heart. She's looking so forward to hearing me sing. Oh, I can't disappoint her. I'll do anything. And with that, Harry Kelly considered the others, who faced a sad Christmas without any mothers or fathers. They had not a one, not between them. It would make a man weep if he had only seen them, deprived of the bright Christmas feast they deserved. Harry set his jaw firm. He would see justice served. I must do what's right, but I know in my heart I can help those poor kids and still sing my part. I can do it and never let anyone down, because nobody's messing with Red Panda's town. And so Harry ran through the alleys and streets, just as fast as he could on two size five feats. Some may not know to where, but others you know. He ran to his contact man, name of Spiro. Spiro ran a gym, and boxing he taught, but the rest of the time, injustice he fought. The Red Panda's agents got missions from him. They'd trade secret signals within Spiro's gym. He'd know what to do, for the heroes he'd send. The villainous gangsters would reach a bad end, and Harry would turn from one mission to other. He would make it to church, and he'd sing for his mother. Mr. Spiro! He shouted and knocked extra hard, but the door was locked tight. There was posted a card. Off for the Christmas. He read the card say. Open next week, but for now go away. But if Mr. Spiro has taken a hike, what will the poor orphan's Christmas be like? I must find a way. I must give it some thought. Red Panda must learn of this terrible plot. And so the boy ran, ran all over the city, through neighborhoods nice, through slums dark and gritty. But every agent he knew was away. No one could deliver his message today. Constable Parker had gone out of town to visit his brother. He wasn't around. Even his old contact man, Mr. Finalman, had closed up his shop. You just couldn't find him. It's getting so late. The boy almost despaired. But then he saw something far up in the air. Something that glided. It did float and twirl. And the something was clearly the shape of a girl. Harry's heart jumped, his head how it whirled, for he'd spotted afar off the masked flying squirrel. Miss Squirrel will help. She'll know what to do. She's the Red Panda's partner. When trouble does brew, they fight it together. If I can just reach her, they'll foil Jake's gang, that terrible creature. So on Harry raced, eyes up in the sky, straining to see where the squirrel did fly. At last, from far off, he just saw her land on a rooftop, and Harry, oh, how he ran. He ran to the building, ran right past the doorman, a slow-moving fellow whose first name was Norman. He raced to the lift. He must reach the squirrel, and he ran at top speed headlong into a girl. 
Watch it, short pants, she declared to Harry's great fright. You're in a big hurry for Christmas Eve night. Norman the doorman approached with a shout, for it was his duty to throw Harry out. Harry dove for the button, the door shut with a click, and he and the girl headed up double quick. The girl looked at him, saying, That was my floor, in a voice that he thought he'd heard somewhere before. Sorry, ma'am, said the boy. If I caused you some worry, but I'm meeting a friend, and I'm in a big hurry. Harry looked at the girl. She was awfully pretty, and she gave him a smirk, both at once wise and witty. She was dressed like a driver, uniformed and all that, with a wisp of red hair poking out of her hat. Is this friend expecting you, short pants? She said. No. Harry Kelly just answered in dread. What if she'd gone while he took this ride? If the squirrel flew away while he was inside, how could he reach the ending desired to save Christmas Eve and still make it to choir? Harry was quiet. The girl wished him luck. But when he reached the roof, he felt just like a schmuck. The squirrel was gone. There was nobody there. And brave Harry Kelly was filled with despair. If I was a hero myself, I could fight. I'd break up Jake's gang and I'd do it tonight. But I'm just a dumb kid with poor aching feet. Harry Kelly, he thought, as he slumped down the street. He hadn't saved Christmas, hadn't done any good. Those kids wouldn't have the fine presents they should. The bad guys would win. They'd steal the whole feast. And poor Harry hadn't but helped in the least. He blinked back the tears that left him half blind. You look like a man with something on your mind. Young Mr. Kelly looked up with a gasp. His heart, how it jumped, and to hope he did grasp. For high on a wall in the alley above hung a girl upside down in a catsuit and gloves. The cowl on her face couldn't hide all her beauty. Harry knew that he hadn't yet failed in his duty. Somehow she found him. It didn't seem true. Where it was once just one, now they were two. But even the brave flying squirrel would need help if they were to make those criminals yelp. Miss Squirrel, I'm so glad I finally did find you. And we need the chief. Oh, yeah? Look behind you. He turned, and the boy jumped most out of his skin. For there stood a man with a mask and a grin. He towered above him, a hat on his head, and gauntlets and mask in a bright fiery red. They were here, both of them. He felt a keen thrill, and they'd fight till the end with strength, speed, and skill. I hear you have something that needs to be said. But how? Harry started. The man shook his head. It's better you don't know our secrets, my lad. And I think that it's time that your story we had. And Harry told all of the plan that he'd heard. The red panda was still. He heard every word. Blank eyes of his mask with a strange light did gleam. Harry just couldn't say what that might mean. But he told how Jake planned Christmas to steal from those who had nothing. It sounded unreal. At last he said nothing. He'd told all he knew. The masked man, with anger it seemed that he grew. And Harry still wondered just what he might do. But the flying squirrel's face finally gave him a clue. Around her bright lips there hung a small grin. She'd heard this before, and she'd hear it again. But it never got tired, like music it was, when the panda got righteous rage in his claws. We've got little time. We must do what we can. We must each give our all just to foil this plan. They cannot succeed. Our justice forbears it. Christmas will be saved. The red panda swears it. You are listening to the Red Panda Adventures from Decoder Ring Theater, brought to you by our broadcast... What are you doing? The commercial. I just want to let all our listeners know about the many fine products they can buy in our online stores. Peter, I, I do the commercials around here. I'm the announcer. That's the big deal. I just thought I'd remind people to support our shows by using the convenient PayPal links on our homepage. Listen, little man, you're horning into my gig. Now cut it out. Oh, come on! You're narrating the entire story this week, Mr. Big Shot. Give a guy a break. What's going on? I uh, think Peter's having a breakdown of some kind. <sighs> this might take a while. Eggnog? Sure. What's going on here? We're getting eggnog. But, Greg... Stephen's narrating the whole episode, and he won't even let me do the commercial. Oh, Peter. The commercial is a very important part of the show. 
Without the support of our listeners making donations and buying shirts, books, CDs, and other bric-a-brac, why, we couldn't afford to keep making these adventure and mystery programs. Just listen to the way Stephen says, PayPal donation. PayPal donation! Or convenient links on our homepage. Convenient links on our homepage! See? But, but I have to play the bad guy, and it's Christmas! Peter, the bad guy is a very important part of any Christmas episode. He is? Certainly. Why, there's Mr. Potter and It's a Wonderful Life, or The Grinch, or Scrooge. Why, he's the lead. That's right. The lead. Stephen, I'm the lead. <laughs> okay. The lead. All right, little buddy, let's suit up for act two. We're back. Did you talk him down? I think so. <laughs> Is he going to stay down this time? I doubt it. The lead. Uh, Stephen, bring us home. DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure! Less than an hour by tick of the clock, and five gangsters waited. A mask of a sock hid the faces of each from the innocent eye, that the men's evil deeds and their faces might spy. The streets were all quiet, the twilight had grown, and fat flakes of snow o'er the sidewalks had blown. Twas quiet and reverent, a pure Christmas night, and the lights in the windows were hung shining bright. But the hearts of the men in the car were all black. They hovered like vultures waiting to attack. They'd feed off the sadness and misery they'd cause when they hijacked Christmas and blocked Santa Claus. This is it, boys, said Jake. Each remember your part. When the truck first appears, that's when we make our start. Use your rods if you need to. No mercy tonight. If they yell for the cops, why, we'll shoot them for spite. With the haul from this job, we can live for a year. Come next July, we'll still have Christmas cheer. Why should we work like a bunch of poor chumps? We can live the good life without busting our humps. That's what we fight for tonight, you all knows. We'll make the world pay what it already owes. And with that, the carload of cowards just chuckles. They took out their guns, and each one cracked their knuckles, expecting to use them just this very night but never expecting too much of a fight. One driver was all that did stand in between them. That driver would learn what they thought of the season. For all criminals, they are cowards and worse, and though calling them so might just cause them to curse and to threaten and pose like the peacocks they are. But from a fair fight, they are always quite far. Five to one are the sort of odds they prefer, if the one's not too fit or too brave, they'd concur. Here it comes, cried the hood as the truck came in sight. Our ship's coming in, and it's coming tonight. The gangster's car lurched forth to block off the road. They started to climb out to hijack the load. But then something happened they never had dreamed. The truck lurched forth faster, toward them careened. Jake pulled the car forward as fast as he could, and barely got clear of the place where it stood. Before the rig rolled forth with never a pause, Jake's gang was now angry and with a good cause. The bird thinks he's tough. Jake swung into gear. We'll see if he likes where we take it from here. The dark sedan raced down the snow-covered streets after the truck that was loaded with treats. The driver was clever, the driver was strong, but the crook's car was faster and soon pulled along beside the great truck. And five shots were fired, two at the cab and three at the tires. But each missed their mark, and the truck lurched away down an alley. And Jake's gang did chuckle and say, He's finished now, boys. That way is a dead end. Against five of us, he can never defend. I'll park the car to block off his escape. I'd say our friend is in pretty bad shape. The gangsters closed in. They approached full of care, for the driver's brave flight had provided a scare. Finally, one thug filled himself with bravado, yanked open the door, our would-be desperado, and what the men saw in the truck made them start, and Jake felt a sinking around about his heart. They expected a driver. They found one all right, but this kind of driver just filled them with fright. 
A cat-suited girl was a-filling the chair with a squirrel mask that covered her face and her hair. When she spoke, all those cowards were a-filled with dread, although she just smiled and... Hello, boys. ...said... It's a trap. It's a setup. cried Jake and his gang, and just then, through the alley, some laughter did ring. <laughs> Not the bright ho-ho-ho of one Santa Claus, but the chilling laugh of one who serves a just cause. It's the panda, cried Jake, his eyes welling in fear. You mugs grab the girl. We'll get out of here. But as they turned back to the truck, she was gone. They now faced two foes who had both brains and brawn. Somewhere in the darkness, no one could say where, for the masked heroes had disappeared into thin air. Let's get to the car, and we'll get out of here. There'll be other nights, Jake said with a sneer. But from high above, the laughter just goaded. And what do you think? Jake's old car exploded. They blew up our car. We're cut off, trapped like rats. And with that, our two heroes swooped in like great bats. They landed in flurries of punches and kicks. And though it was five against two, they had tricks that you'd never believe if you never had seen them. Those crooks weren't so tough as they thought it was semen. For the panda and squirrel, they were brave and well-trained. Together they worked, the attack they sustained. But of all the secrets they had in their plans, the best one of all wasn't really so grand. Nor no secret at all. It really is true. It's a secret that's free, and it's for me and you. Each one of us can be a hero, you see, if each works for something that's larger than me. If we strive every day to be good, we for we, for that's what a real hero does, don't you see? Well, that was a nice little workout, I think. We took out the trash, and we're both in the pink. Let's clear this truck out before the law comes. We'll deliver the gifts, and they'll wrap up these bums. But the panda just frowned, and he said, Man alive, I count only four. Where is crook number five? For Jake, he was creeping. He'd passed far from heed, but at the last moment was taken by greed. They ruined the caper. They've blown up the car. I have to get something. I've come in this far. Jake opened the door. He was quiet and quick. He'd take what he found when his head he did stick in the back of the truck. But all that he found was another surprise that was hanging around. He felt a sharp crack just beneath his old hat. Twas brave Harry Kelly just swinging a bat. As Jake fell, H. Kelly said proudly, Take that! Let that be a lesson, you dirty old rat! And Harry rode up in the front on the seat with the panda and squirrel. They drove down the street, drove up to the place where the orphans did wait. He helped the masked heroes unload every crate, every box, every present, the warm clothes and food, things we take for granted but others elude. And Harry felt prouder than ever he had to know that he'd thwarted a caper so bad and to help bring some joy to those who had none. But then Harry thought of a question, just one. How did you know where the truck would come from? We started so late, and we just had to run. Everything worked out, that I'll allow. I know that it happened, but I don't know how. I, uh, happened to know who was sending this truck, so I knew where to go. It really was luck. He's a wealthy young fellow, but just the same... He'd rather that nobody else knew his name. But you, Harry Kelly, you sure saved the day. You saved these kids Christmas and made the crooks pay. If it weren't a secret, I'd sing it out loud. You'd sure make your old mother awfully proud. With that, Harry's face, why, it just seemed to fall. He'd been brave all this while. He'd given his all, but he had forgotten an important thing. His mother was waiting just to hear him sing. He told the two heroes just why he was sad. I'd do it again, he hastened to add. I just wish I wouldn't have let my mom down. But it's in 15 minutes. It's clear across town. She'll be at the church, but I won't be there. With all that she does, it just doesn't seem fair. The heroes just looked, one at each, with a smirk. And Red Panda picked Harry up with a jerk. And over his shoulder he threw him and ran, before Harry Kelly could ask, What's the plan? 
man! They'd thrown him into a big black waiting car that was hidden nearby. It was not very far. The squirrel sparked the engine to life with a start, and at terrible speed, the black car did depart. Wahoo! Shouted Harry. Come on, come on. I'm having the most unbelievable day! Ain't seen nothing yet, kiddo. The flying squirrel said, and she flipped a switch just over her head. And with that, a rocket in back of the car burst forth with a thrust. They raced on afar. They raced through the empty streets fast as can be, almost to their goal, when at last they did see... Roadblock signs, boss. The streets closed ahead. If we can't get through, we'll go over instead. Over? Said the boy, but had time for no more. For by then the red panda had opened the door, and like a football up under his arm, the young Harry Kelly was tucked far from harm. So he hoped, but where the masked man planned to go, Harry had to admit that he just didn't know. Hold on there, son. Try hard not to squirm. As if Harry could in that grip so firm. And to Harry Kelly's continued amazement, ran straight up the wall with the young agent. His shoes with some power did crackle and spark, as up the sheer surface they quickly embarked. He ran without effort, without even trying. But what happened next made the boy think of dying. Straight off the rooftop into open space, the red panda leapt, and the very next place he could land was the other side of the street. The boy closed his eyes, but from the man's feet, the sparks pushed him off, away from the roof. Then they pulled him forth, the sparks from his hoof, and before Harry Kelly had opened his eyes, they'd run across that roof and leapt off the far side. Harry said, and you could see just why. This leap was so far, even if he did try, those marvelous shoes couldn't pull them both forth. That leap was at least 65 feet due north. And so as he leapt, with the strength of his belly, into the air the man threw Harry Kelly. The boy shouted, his voice full of care, but suddenly hands pulled him out of thin air. He saw that the hands belonged to a girl, and he knew that it must be the one flying squirrel. But the gliders don't work when her two hands are full, so with a... Hang on! She twisted around, and the force threw young Harry far over the ground. Almost the whole distance he flew here to there, and at last the red panda caught him in midair, and on the far rooftop did land with a bump. But what happened next really had Harry stumped. We're here, said the man in the mask to the boy. Here where? Harry Kelly said, slightly annoyed. After all, fun is fun, but he just couldn't see how this helped his mother to any degree. Over here! Called the squirrel who had landed nearby and lifted a trapdoor on rooftop so high. Music drifted up through the gap that was ope. Church music! Harry's heart lifted with hope. In their high wiring, scramble and search, he'd come up to stand on the roof of his church. Run, boy. I think there's no time to spare. Harry grinned with a wave, and he hopped right in there. He raced through the crawl space and into the hall, got into his choir robes just as the call came forth for the young singers, come one and all. Harry Kelly did sing for his mom after all. There were thirty other boys singing that night. In truth, it would probably give you a fright. So many wrong keys and so few in tune, but every mother was over the moon. Mrs. Kelly sat watching her boy so angelic. Of his great adventure, t'was never a relic. She never would know of his courageous deed, how he helped to save Christmas for others in need. But in the end, that was likely the best. Besides, Harry Kelly just needed a rest. And far above, on the church's snowy top, sat two costumed heroes just taking a stop. The music swelled up from the organ below, and the Christmas light shone oh so bright on the snow. And there was just one thing she wanted to know. I don't suppose that you've got mistletoe. Get Baxter, behave. Coming, you could have seen it. Yes, boss. Said the squirrel, but she didn't mean it. And so concludes another adventure of the Red Panda! 
This recording and the story, characters, and situations contained therein are the exclusive property of their creator and copyright holder, Greg Taylor, and are produced and distributed by Decoder Ring Theater through arrangement with him. These recordings may not be rebroadcast or redistributed by any means for any reason without express permission. Until next time, when Decoder Ring Theater brings you the further thrilling adventures of Canada's greatest superhero, this is Stephen Burley reminding you DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure! The Red Panda Adventures, episode 30, Tis the Season, was written and directed by Greg Taylor, with original music by Andrea Lyons, and featured the vocal talents of Shannon Arnold, Stephen Burley, Peter Nickel, Clarissa Nederlanden, and Greg Taylor. Until next time, for all of us here, Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, and that was a delightful holiday special by Dakota Ring Theater, a serial that is not usually in rhyming couplets, but bent a little bit this holiday season. Now, Dakota Ring alternates between two great series, uh, the Black Panda Adventures you just heard a piece of, and that of Black Deck Justice, the higher detective on the prowl in some great anonymous American city. Uh, I had a chance to speak with the series' creator, uh, Greg Taylor, who had a lot of great insight, wit, and humor to add about his craft and his passion for the hard-boiled stories in the detective uh, stories of yore. Hope you enjoy his comments as much as I did. I've got Greg Taylor on the line. He is, as he likes to call himself, the chief bottle washer over at Dakota Ring Theater. You may know him as the Red Panda, as a writer, as a director, many hats um, on a show, uh, two shows of people who wear many hats. Uh, Greg Taylor, welcome to Radio Drama Revival. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, it's, uh, f- you know, anyone who's into podcasts is probably well, well aware of you um, and uh, one, if not both, of your great series. Uh, but why don't you, um, for anyone who uh, might not be familiar, just uh, introduce us briefly with uh, Dakota Ring and what you do. Well, sure. Uh, at Dakota Ring Theater, we do a new audio drama uh, inspired by the classic broadcasts of radio's golden age. So working within the style, but not necessarily limited to uh, the the particular content that would have made it on the air uh, back in the day, uh, but something that uh, feels familiar too, I think, but uh, heads off in its own direction. We have two programs uh, that we alternate back and forth in, so far mostly in sets of six episodes. Uh, we have a 30s-style uh, mystery man program called The Red Panda Adventures, uh, which follows the crime-busting adventures of Canada's greatest superhero, and we have a, a more of a late 40s-style uh, detective series called Blackjack Justice. Uh, the principal the narrative uh, twist of which is that there are the two conflicting first-person narrations uh, in the form of Jack Justice and Trixie Dixon, girl detective, who often don't really entirely agree on how things went down. <laughs> of course, uh, as we'd want to be with two narrators. Uh, so how, how what was the genesis of all this? Well, uh, years before, and really the first project that uh, we worked on under the name Decoder Ring Theater, we have a, a large group of actors who are all people that I've worked with on different uh, theatrical projects and, and, and different things over the years. And if I really like working with them, then sooner or later they get the tap to, to come in and join us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the first thing that we did under the Decoder Ring name was, as is often the case when someone plays with a genre for the first time, uh, it becomes parody. Okay. And uh, we did a, a show uh, with the Red Panda name. It was a, it was a very, very silly thing. It was uh, intended as a, uh, a completely unsolicited pilot for traditional radio uh, <laughs> about a uh, Canadian superhero in World War II. Very over-the-top silly. A lot of a lot of things intended to make it more saleable to, uh, or at least theoretically saleable. Uh, uh, many programming directors vastly disagreed <laughs> with that analysis. We did a little six-episode miniseries, and and it's you know it's still fun to listen to. If you if you listen to it now, you can hear it by about episode three, straining to no longer be a parody. But by this point, I had already written a talking dog into the series, so <laughs> yeah, uh, we uh, yeah, it, yeah, it was uh, good times, and, and it was fun to work on. And well, when you know, I spent about a, a year peddling that in various places while we moved on to different theatrical projects, and it always seemed like the thing that just never got off the ground. Um, we stuck the masters in a, in a drawer, uh, and once we put up the uh, our old website, which was our first uh, website for the company, intended to promote some uh, um, some murder mystery shows for hire we were doing then, uh, and 
stuck the uh, old MP the uh, old Red Panda shows up in MP3 format. Really, is kind of an afterthought. And then we started getting email from the strangest places <laughs> saying, we love the shows, but when are you going to make more? Sure. By this point, it was you know, five years afterwards, and, and we really moved on. But it, it did really make me see that at least uh, there were possibilities in terms of distribution that hadn't existed even just a few years before. When we recorded those that original series, we were right at the last days when recording something like this would be a brutally expensive and complicated process. Uh, you know, it was all on digital audio tape and uh, just complete nonsense compared to uh, um, modern uh, systems. And so, uh, you know, and then it became a process of uh, sort of learning those uh, as well and then uh, contemporary digital editing uh, and uh, writing the scripts. Uh, I did while I was uh, often uh, doing summer stock and things like that and, and, and stockpiling um, a rebooted Red Panda series, taking it back to the, the 30s. And really, instead of a parody or an homage, really get into the genre and uh, try and be true to it uh, and tell. Obviously, it's not super serious. It's a, you know, it's a masked adventurer story. But there is a there is a truth in that in that style that it's just so much more rewarding when you can really play in that genre. Uh, and then Blackjack Justice was sort of a natural complement to it. We had done a uh, a one act stage play uh, in in Toronto that had done quite well um, uh, by the same name. And it was more of a play within a play. Uh, the show was also called Blackjack Justice, but it was about one very bad day in the life of an old-time radio show. And the uh, the second half was the radio show, and was very much like a prototypical episode of the radio series we have now, except that you also saw the actors falling apart, and you knew they had, the script wasn't finished, and so hence uh, hence the comedy. Um, but uh, and then just to you know then strip that of its own conventions. Uh, which is really, for folks who've listened to the show, I get a lot of emails saying, who in the heck is Martin Bracknell? Because in the opening of Blackjack Justice, we introduce him as Martin Bracknell's famous detective. Um, and, uh, you know, the little covers that we put up uh, on, the, on the site all have Martin Bracknell on them as if they were real-time novels. And uh, uh, it really just, he was a character in the original play, and we kept the original introduction with his name in it, even though he's completely fictional. Uh, I have found him listed on some uh, uh, lists of detective fiction writers now and things like that. And uh, it's, it's it's fun to have inadvertently created a minor historical person. Uh, it, it just shows you that not everything you find on the Internet is quite as accurate as you might believe it to be. Oh, I do try and email people when I can to say, just so you know, he doesn't exist. Uh, but then it often doesn't come down. So, yeah, it's good times. And just finding that there is a means now of creating your own work and distributing it to people. There are people out there that want to hear it. Uh, it's just a question of getting it to them and, uh, and letting the shows find them all over the world and, uh, and just seeing what happens. So it's been a heck of a ride. Sure, and I think uh, people will see that you, um, at least uh, for me as an outsider, uh, seem to have, have gotten there. Um, the So that was the question. So you had a... Uh, Two different series, and at the, at the beginning of all this, he said, uh, why not just do both at the same time? Is that sort of your feeling? Uh, yeah, I think that there was a desire to uh, do a little more and to, to play in different styles. And, of course, because we have a fairly large ensemble, uh, you know, wanting to be able to give some different voices some chances to uh, to step center mic, uh, we also this past summer uh, took in some some scripts who didn't from outside sources did more of an anthology series a summer sh- summer showcase series which is a bit of a mouthful um, and uh, again it gave us an opportunity to let some of the other actors uh, take a lead role do some uh, shows in more of a suspense style or uh, science fiction adventure style and a number of different things so that was a lot of fun to play with as well uh, we also. And one of those did very, very well. We had two, uh, sort of a two-parter uh, space adventure called Deck Gibson, uh, written by Matt Wallace, who does the uh, Variant Frequencies podcast. 
and is, uh, uh, as I've described him elsewhere, brilliant and quite mad, uh, entirely true, both things. Uh, so we've actually got another set of those next summer, and again, it's just a chance to uh, to mix it up and play in a different style. And, uh, and you know, uh, the, the beautiful thing is when I don't have to be the Red Panda in that series, then I can step off and, and just play some completely inconsequential goon-type role in the... In something else, or a, or a giant space lizard, and uh, who doesn't want to do that? Yeah, I jump at the chance to be a space lizard. So uh, it sounds like you have uh, some uh, predating all this. You have uh, some good experience in uh, theater and radio. Is that true? It is. Yeah, um, we've got. Uh, most of us have worked together uh, for years in uh, in theater. There's a particularly a, um, a company called Tempest Theater here in Toronto that uh, many of the folks here on Dakota Ring Theater have worked with over the years, and where a lot of us met. There's a lot of uh, Shakespeare for high schools. Uh, so, and if you really, if you can command the attention of 400 teenagers who really do not want to be at a performance of Romeo and Juliet and convey the sense of it to them, not just that this is, you know, what they think it is, but it is in many places a very dirty, funny little play and make them care about it, and an audience like that will either cheer for you like you're a rock star or they will turn on you like a pack of wild dogs. And just going continually into that arena really sharpens uh, the skills, I think, and uh, the ability to convey that message. I mean, that's even more so than with theater. Uh, Radio drama really requires the active artistic participation of the audience. The audience is part of creating uh, what the final product is. It's true in the theater. Uh, you know, you have to certainly imagine uh, a much broader world than you're seeing. It's not like the movies where it's all handled for you, including moving your point of view to wherever it will be most advantageous. It's a wonderful thing. But... Uh, uh, the theater, you have the same proscenium, and you you know you imagine much of what you're seeing. And in in radio, it's you know, the ultimate uh, connection with the audience requires a real commitment from the audience, and it's a little bit of harder work for them. Uh, you know, you, I know lots of people who can watch TV and read a book at the same time. I defy you to effectively do that with an audio drama program oh, yeah. because yeah. it uh, it demands that same. Uh, level of uh, of attention and imagination from the audience, and uh, and it's a wonderful thing. It's a a real uh, connection between the people who uh, are, are willing to listen and uh, to to create that world with you. And I'm amazed at the number of uh, letters that we get from people who listen with their kids, and their kids are mad about one show or another, and and like really, you have a you have a five year old and a seven year old. And they're crazy about the Red Panda Adventures. I mean, these are half-hour audio drama shows. That's just good parenting is what that is. <laughs> exactly. like these kids in this video game age can sit and listen and imagine and uh, and can't wait for the next one and follow what can be, I'm sure, you know, some... If they're not used to the conventions of pulp storytelling, they you know they've no idea. This is a completely new concept to them. They don't know that you know the Green Hornet actually did something quite similar. Once they don't know. Yeah. Uh, so it's a it's a marvelous way to sort of connect. Uh, it, it is often harder for. Of course, there's one of the things you compete with when you're creating new audio drama is you're competing with everything created in the golden age of radio, which is right. relatively easily accessible these days, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. uh, my Much of my education in the genre was spent listening through entire series runs of uh, these wonderful classic shows. So a lot of things in them that wouldn't ne necessarily connect with an audience today. Um, sometimes, you know, just different ways of looking at things, particularly in the role of uh, of female characters. Uh, who are often beyond tertiary, uh, you know, barely in the show sometimes, uh, and other times, you know, just just wish they could do more. Uh, and without without playing false to the era, without you know, creating a series of circumstances that just doesn't doesn't exist in in that time. Being able to create uh, stronger, more interesting female roles uh, to be a part of the world 
um, is is rewarding, and I think is something that allows a more contemporary audience to uh, to connect with it in uh, in a way that sometimes maybe you can't with the the classic shows. I mean, you know, I love The Shadow, but good lord, Margot Lane is useless. She you know she drives him around and gives him someone to talk to, and uh, and and there were some wonderful actresses who played the role. Agnes Moorhead was magnificent. But she, you know, you really just wish once she'd just have superpowers of her own and could actually help him. Uh, you know, Lois always needed to be rescued, and, you know, you wish they could be a little more like Cato, a little more like Robin, a little something more. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's part of it for us. Also, most of the ladies that I have playing these roles would kill me if I ever wrote them a role like that, you know. Right, uh, the right. Flying Squirrel is mm-hmm. played by my wife. She would murder me if mm-hmm. I made her that right. helpless for even one episode. So, you know, that's tough but fair. Fair enough, yeah. Uh, so that was another question I was going to ask is about um, those classic Golden Age tales. You can definitely, um, obviously, your inspiration is, is, you know, from the Green Hornet to the Shadow to um, the Spirit you mentioned um, by your latest episode. Uh, was that Were you raised on uh, those shows, or was that something you uh, came to appreciate later on? There, uh, there was a station out of Toronto. I, I grew up a, a, sort of more out in the country, but we got the stations from Toronto. And on late Sunday nights, after a comedy show, I think I listened to Dr. Demento on another station and then a different comedy show. And then if I didn't turn the radio off, and obviously one night I didn't, uh, and I discovered this program of old-time shows. And they played Suspense and Escape. And Sherlock Holmes, and they did a little run of about a dozen Shadow episodes, I remember, uh, and just every Sunday, two episodes. And I found that quite young. Uh, so I did um, grow up with it in that way. And, and in the 70s, you may recall, that there was a little bit of a revival of interest in the old-time programs. There were a lot of things released on cassette. You know, the sort of releases that would drive a contemporary collector insane because it's a single episode on on cassette split in half, you know, for $7. Thanks very much. Um, but uh, still, they, they were there, and uh, I, I took special delight in them. And uh, then they weren't really all that accessible for a number of years, and, and I did kind of f- forget about it. Uh, and then it all just came back, and, uh, and I turned around, and, and suddenly, you know, the, uh, the the people who had been for generations really preserving these classic programs with uh, a lot of guys with um, the reel to reel tapes and trading episodes that way and people restoring transcription discs and taking a good a good version off of that and uh, had then encoded these things and traded them very freely. You will never find a finer group of gentlemen and ladies in the world than the old-time radio collectors because they honestly believe in their hearts that this doesn't belong to them really and the way you pay for it is to pass it along to the next guy. Uh, People in forums just tripping over each other to get someone something they've asked for. Uh, So there's a a really marvelous spirit there and it really encourages people to to delve into these runs and really get your, your teeth into it and learn how they wrote these series when audio drama was the undisputed king and uh, and when there were people who just wrote all the time it was their job they wrote audio drama and uh, the the real masters of the form both the popular form and some of the more uh, 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 more artistic expressions of it I mean you know I, I don't know that Norman Corwin was ever you know, top of the pops, but you, you just have to listen to some of his stuff to realize that he's brilliant uh, and uh, an, an environment where that kind of thing could exist and thrive and be supported chiefly by the network. I mean, there was almost never a sponsor for that kind of work, um, but they uh, they kept it on because it was uh, important. I can't even imagine a network feeling that way today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unless you had more uh, slashing and uh, possibly naked teenagers. Well, yes, naked teenagers often, but then I'm fairly certain that you'd have a sponsor too, so you know, or or a few. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, you mentioned it a second ago about the you know the stations you could hear out of out of Toronto. Another thing I wanted I was curious about is uh you know obviously uh, in America we we sort of you know was res- responsible both for the uh, rise and demise of our you know form of audio drama. Do you think uh, any of that carries on in your experience in Canada? Uh, do you think it's made it easier, harder, about the same, or uh, is it beyond that nowadays? 
It's interesting. Uh, there is a large-scale uh, public broadcaster in the form of the CBC, and there is a certain amount of audio drama created for CBC. Um, but uh, I found out, it was time about a year and a half ago, I think, when I was reading uh, uh, the SFF Audio blog, sffaudio.com, and realized that there was a CBC audio drama department still. Because as someone who listens to CBC Radio every morning and worked on audio drama all the time, I had no idea this existed because they hide it in other programs. This program is on for three hours on Sunday night, and for four weeks this May, we will be in our third hour putting on uh, this, this half-hour serialized show, but we're not going to tell anyone about it. Because we're the CDC and we're insane. Uh, so that does happen uh, a little bit. There is some great stuff being produced. Uh, very few people seem to know that it's there uh, for precisely that reason. I mean, it's, a, it's a promotional uh, nightmare, uh, you know, having gone to the trouble of, of creating it and then just, you know, I'm not even talking about, you know, putting up giant billboards everywhere, just telling the people who are already listening to the station when it's going to be on yeah, yeah. doesn't really happen. So there isn't, uh, in terms of, there's a real impact on uh, Canadian culture in a way that, you know, I hear from listeners of ours in the UK or in Australia where there still is uh, a certain consciousness of audio drama on the public broadcasters, uh, and they're obviously much more aware of the medium. Uh, and I think here it is very much uh, something that's followed the uh, American model in terms of uh, uh, the demise of it as a commercial medium and therefore an accessible medium. We do play a lot with, I mean, in spite of the fact that the, uh, the Red Panda is uh, the Canadian superhero, uh, superheroes and private detectives, principally what we play in, these are two of the quintessential American contributions to, to popular culture in the 20th century. These are, it's, it's difficult to imagine things that are more fundamentally American, in, uh, in both in terms of they've been wrapped up in the uh, American identity, but also they are at their core. There's just something American about them. And I say that in, in the best possible way. Uh, Blackjack Justice, we've never really set where it is. We get a lot of people who assume it is also in Toronto. And I do occasionally pull street names, just that I know. We've tried to keep it as the uh, uh, ubiquitous unnamed great American city like a lot of the classic shows were unless they derived from a specific series of novels. Obviously Marlowe was Los Angeles and Sam Spade was San Francisco and um, but uh, we've tried to keep it a little more open-ended uh, and in fact it, it actually can't be Canada because there's a character who recurs called Lieutenant Sabian who would be called Lieutenant Sabian if it was Canada as I am frequently reminded by people who email me uh, I'm like, yeah, I actually did. I did know that, but uh, thank, thank you for writing. Um, and uh, uh, and and even with the Red Panda that is set in Toronto, uh, there, there's always that sense that we are playing a little bit in somebody else's pool uh, because there just is that idea of the 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 one hero who stands against unnamed forces of evil, and the man in the mask uh, who uh, hands out two-fisted pulp justice. I mean, it it just positively reeks of a certain era of, uh, of the American spirit that is uh, you just want to just pin to a wall and just stare at because it so just knocks you out. Um, and uh, so that is a lot of fun, and, and we don't... I think if you listen to sort of find in the archive section on our site... The uh, the old the the parody Red Panda the World War II miniseries that we did years ago you can see that it's sort of playing with making fun of these ideas and and the reason it never really sat right with me is I don't want to make fun of them because I love them so much. What what do you think it is, is it that's still enduring about those stories um, that? Sock and bop him, uh, hero, the absolutely, you know, the, the masked man, that concept that draws people to it. Do you have any thoughts on that? 
Well, you've got to look at the the different heroic ages, um, and certainly I think that the the 40s comic books have that you know three color simplicity to them, and they're very black and white. And before that, of course, you've got the pulp era, um, some of which is quite dark, but it always comes from a place of um, that which is safe, that which is good. You know, in those days, the city really got dark. There was gaslight and there was shadow, and anything could be down that alley. Uh, and there was desperation uh, caused by the depression. That couldn't, and, and, and when you look at the stories before that, really, you could make an argument for uh, Edmund Rostrand's uh, Cyrano de Bergerac, which, uh, although it's set in 17th century France, well, actually uh, premiered in uh, 1896 and came to New York around turn of the century as the prototypical superhero story. The individual who uh, has the one tragic flaw and the mask that he hides behind in a lot of ways and who can't be defeated except by this one thing. Uh, and, and who doesn't identify with that at different ages for different reasons as the outsider? Um, but uh, the outsider who fights for something that is real and that matters. Um, with, and there's an element of, of sacrifice. When you look at the, the classic stories, when you look in the, uh, the Golden Age uh, stories and the, and the pulp stories, there always is something that is very refreshing after years and years of, I call it the difference between Marvel and DC, although it's an oversimplification. In the Marvel universe, you're likely to find people who say, why do I have these terrible powers? Why was I cursed with these abilities? And, of course, in, you know, in the DC universe, particularly in the Golden Age, you'd be more likely to just look up on a 45-degree angle, strike a pose, and say, from now on, I will use these powers only for good and be known as, enter name here. Uh, which, really, I have to believe, if I was suddenly splashed with some kind of mutagen that gave me fantastic powers, that's exactly what I would do. Of course it's what I would do. You have, you know, you have about 45 minutes after you gain powers to decide are you going to be a supervillain or are you going to be a superhero. And if you're going to be a superhero, for God's sakes, be happy about it. Yeah. Be, <laughs> be about it. So I love the spirit. I mean, he, does, he had no powers, but he had the mask and he did some really remarkable things. And there's always, you know, those serious moments. And then they'll just bust forth in that grin that completely defies a lot of the, uh, the, the somber characters that have the uh, fedora and mask combination that the red panda also employs um is that uh, uh there's there's that grin behind it that my god he is having fun doing this <laughs> and and why why not why shouldn't it be uh, so yeah and i think that's i think that's a big part of the appeal is that there is um they there's not necessarily a lot of gray. There's, you know, there can be depth to the story. It's not that it necessarily needs to be fluff, but at its core, there is that comic code sensibility that the hero fights for something that is right and that good will triumph over evil. And uh, sometimes, man, that is exactly what the situation calls for. Great. Well, I, I know you've got plenty of fans out there, um, and, and maybe a lot of people who discovered audio drama through um, listening to your stories. And you know, uh, that's that's excellent. And you know, I, I for one, am astonished at how at you know how regularly um, you you know pulling all that together is quite an accomplishment in and of itself. And uh, thanks so much for um, sharing a piece with the, with us. Um, you know, we, it was a completely offbeat piece. I know you mentioned that yourself, um, but uh, I think I think uh, we got to. Yeah, gotta... I should I should mention to anyone who hasn't heard the program, it's not <laughs> normally entirely in rhyming couplets. Yeah, well, you, you, something you pulled... very different that we did this time for the Christmas story. You definitely pulled it off really well. I mean, I I, I when I heard that, I'm like, oh my god, it's it's rhyming couplets and it's not <laughs> awful. And and how long will this carry on? But yeah, yeah. Um, there's a uh, there's a, a nice bit coming up in the spring where we have a, a minor villain called the poet who leaves behind rhyming clues, who uh, who is furious that someone has rhymed red panda with propaganda, which we actually do in this episode. So it's a little kidney shot at myself by me, which is the sort of schizophrenic thing that happens here all the time. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, uh, and yeah, and if you haven't uh, checked it out yet, it's decoder ring. Theater, uh, theater with an R E, 
um, decoder ring, like the things you'd find in the cereal boxes, I suppose. And uh, Greg Taylor, thanks so very, very much for being on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. And again, that was Greg Taylor from the Dakota Ring Theater, uh, Theater R.E. Uh, thank you, Greg, for so generously offering your time to be here on the show. Next week, well, Christmas isn't quite over here in the Radio Drama Revival universe, and we have a post-Christmas special called Naughty and Nice, a sweet story and a not-so-sweet one combined here. I won't spoil that little extra present, but you'll have to tune in next week to find out more. And if you can't wait that long, recall you can always check out on any of our previous episodes of the podcast and blog, www.radiodramarival.com. You can read more audio theater news, reviews, and discussion, as well as subscribe to the weekly show there. And if you prefer, remember you can always check us out on the iTunes store, search for Radio Drama Revival. And that wraps it up for this week's show. Uh, Till next week, happy, happy holidays, and to keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great week.